Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Eighty-six episodes of the tennis podcast in 2015, a million downloads, and we are back for more in 2016. We'll talk about Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, Murray in this episode of the show. Who's going to make the next big move? Who will crash the party? We'll discuss the return of Serena Williams and how the WTA landscape will look in this Olympic year. We'll hear from the new British hope, Kyle Edmonds, 20 years of age, just qualified in Doha, and we'll assess the hopes of British players in general. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, a tennis commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport in the UK. I'm in London. And I'm joined by my co-presenter, Catherine Whittaker, who, oh no, is in rather sunnier climes. Doha, to be specific, and working for Be In Sports. Catherine, hello. Hello. Sunnier, but not warmer, David. It's, uh, it's a very chilly desert I'm in just at the moment. Is it? I, you know, I had this very argument with a colleague of mine a few months ago. And I said exactly that, that I remember people watching many years ago, all the way back to 1993, I think the first ever year that they had the tournament in Doha, when Pete Sampras came in as the world number one and promptly lost in the first round to Kareem Alami. Remember him? And the people tournament were ra- director, no less. He's now the yes. tournament director. Well, there you go. There you go. And, and uh, people were wrapped up in, in, uh, in huge, great big rugs uh, in the stands because of how cold it was. And people were saying to me, oh, no, it's, it's, it's not cold. It's the middle of the desert. It's perfectly nice out there. And I was saying, no, it's cold. So Catherine Whitaker backs me up. There were, there were rugs on show out there today during qualifying. I, I went out with my cameraman to shoot Kyle Edmonds' match point, which he promptly won, uh, to qualify for his first ever ATP uh, 250 event. And uh, I felt a fool because I was there in just a mere cardigan. Uh, and the a couple of British ladies in the stands had, had come prepared to support Kyle Edmund. They not only were wearing coats and scarves, but they were also wrapped in sort of blankets. And they, they said they, they didn't leave the house without the blanket. So uh, it's obviously not an anomaly, weather-wise. There you go. See, I was right all along, whoever you were, that I was having that argument with. Although I do think it was probably 1994, not 93, that I'm talking about 20 years ago. But it's still more than 20 years ago anyway, isn't it? Now, I'll tell you what, lots happened in the tennis world without anything having happened, Catherine Whitaker. For a start, we haven't been on air for about a month. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? You all right? Yeah, that that two week long off season in tennis really really gives you an opportunity to recharge, doesn't it? Uh, I'm I'm great. I'm very much the same, David. Surprisingly. Oh yes, so still gloating over your uh, end of season awards victory, uh, as deemed by Alan Mills, our illustrious guest on the uh, end of season tennis podcast last year, and uh, Catherine. Uh, you're over there in uh, Doha for being sports. You've got Novak Djokovic with you. You've got Rafael Nadal with you. We're going to be hearing your interview with young Kyle Edmund, who we were talking about so much at the end of last year, the Davis Cup match that he played so well in his debut in the final when he won the first two sets against David Goffin. Then he won tie-break tens, beating Andy Murray in the final there to more than double his prize money. That wasn't bad, was it? And uh, you've, as I said, you've got Novak Djokovic over there. 
they could have ended up playing, couldn't they, after Carl Edmund uh, got through the qualifiers. But in the end, Djokovic playing Dustin Brown in his first match of the year. That, that is horrible, isn't it? It's absolutely hideous. Um, and if you could have for seen... Him. Hideous for him, yeah. I mean, I, I bet Dustin Brown is quietly licking his lips tonight, possibly. It's uh, it's a dream come true for him, really. That's when he... These are the matches where he performs his best. Even if he doesn't win, I'd be very surprised if Dustin Brown doesn't come out and perform, at the very least, uh, on Monday. But, I mean, it was this... I, I've referenced a couple of times uh, in the last year the fact that... Doha being the only event that, that Djokovic didn't reach the final of last year. He lost uh, in the quarterfinals to Ivo Karlovic. And uh, it was the wind that got him that day. And yes, it was pretty horrific wind. It was it was a sandstorm that day. But it was the wind today was not far off the levels that day. I bet you Novak Djokovic was looking around during practice this evening. He was out there on the centre court practising. And I think he would have been looking around thinking... This, this doesn't quite suit me down to the ground. No, I, I suspect you're probably right there. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is many people listening to this episode of the Tennis Podcast will probably already know the result of that match because it is taking place on the, on the first day of the tournament proper on Monday in Doha. But certainly on paper, Dustin Brown, I mean, we were talking about it's the nightmare match and uh, not great for Novak Djokovic on paper. I think for the fans, it's absolutely sensational, certainly in terms of its uh, portents anyway. We'll see whether it actually comes to fruition. Rafael Nadal is over there. He played in the exhibition match, the wonderfully titled World Championship of Tennis, uh, over the... uh, uh, New Year period, and I think it's anything but that. But I think it is a, a pretty fancy and nice exhibition there in Abu Dhabi, and uh, and Nadal was playing in that. I've uh, been obviously running about six hundred polls in the off season, Catherine, on at tennis podcast on Twitter, uh, and. Uh, one of the people we'll obviously be talking about is Andy Murray. I, about half an hour ago, I decided to run a uh, Will Andy Murray Ever Reach World Number One poll. I, I did actually run a poll the other day, uh, which was entitled Polls. Am I annoying running them or not? What were the results, David? Well, 70% said carry on, David Law. So, you know, <laughs> too bad, Catherine Whitaker. 30%. I stand saying. very much in the minority, it would seem. 30% do a John McInerney on their phone every time uh, I run a poll. Uh, but anyway, 375 votes for Andy Murray's uh, will he be world number one question. That was only half an hour ago. 300, 375 votes. 46% say that yes, he will be world number one. 54% say no. What does Catherine Whitaker say? I would say that poll has is, is revealed the truth really or certainly the truth as I see it I think it's 50-50 really he's certainly good enough to he would be a world number one in numerous other eras but you know let's not get into time machine tennis again Um, I think it, de- it it depends on so many moving factors not least you know other people he could play 10 times better this year than than he played last year and still not reach world number one because of a certain Novak Djokovic so I think he has a very good chance to do so I feel like his best tennis might still be in him I think it might come this year but it even so it depends on Djokovic so I I can't give it more than 50-50 but he's in a if I, I if I had to put my money on who the next new world number one would be I would say Andy Murray yeah, I'd agree with you there um, because I don't think there's anybody else who in Andy Murray's peak years, and I think that though we are in the middle of them right now, I think there's a couple more of them left. Um, I don't think there's anybody else who is going to overtake him personally. Maybe Nadal, if uh, if he were to get back to, to 100% fitness and form, uh, but I can't see it. I, I think either Djokovic stays ahead of Murray or eventually he will hunt him down and just about have his moment. I did change my mind twice when I was answering the question. You can't do that in the poll. So I, I didn't enter. Thankfully, I'm not allowed to enter either. Hang on, but anyway, hang I, on, hang on. Have you been entering your own polls? <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, there's always I think, that I think Twitter's fear, created a you know? loophole there. I think that should not be technically possible. You well, there is, a, there is always that. The thing is, if I, if I create it on at Tennis Podcast, then me as myself, 
David Law Tennis, I can go on it and vote. And there is always that concern that what if I set up a poll that nobody enters? Therefore, of at least, if I have a go, at least somebody has. Oh dear, this poll situation is, is becoming ever more tragic by the, yeah. uh, by the second. Yes, I, I did a few more as well. We'll go on to those a, a little bit later. Uh, but anyway, I, I think Andy Murray will. I think he will just about have his moment. And the, the way I see it, my reasoning is that he, he's a, a bit of a box ticker in his career. And, and he's just ticking them all one by one. He's managed to get that Wimbledon title. He, first of all, he managed to get his first Grand Slam title, the Olympics. Then, uh, then he got Wimbledon. Now he's got the Davis Cup. I think he will... I think he'll get a Grand Slam title this year. Uh, there, there we are. I've said that. And um, I, I think he will ultimately tick the box of World and Born as well. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But I... Uh, yeah, perhaps, I mean, I'd perhaps put it... The poll came out 46-54, did it? I'd perhaps put it at 46-54, but in favour of Murray getting the number one. Oh, Catherine Whitaker has been swung by my convincing uh-huh. argument. Uh, very good. I'm pleased to hear it. Uh, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer will return. What I like is the way all these players seem to basically prepare differently. We've got Murray at the Hopman Cup. We've got Nadal and Djokovic in Doha. We've got Federer in Brisbane. And suddenly they'll all come together, won't they, and, and just uh, go for it in Melbourne. Yeah, they will. I mean, I, I, I always used to think, why, why wouldn't you go and play Brisbane and get, you know, get the jet lag out of the way as early as possible if you have the choice of just getting over to Australia, getting adjusted, playing in that climate, in those conditions, why wouldn't you? But then, since I, this is my second year in Doha now, I can really see the virtues in coming to Doha. It's breaking up the journey, it's doing... Well, for the Europeans, at least you're you're going halfway there, playing a tournament, and then you know you still do have at least a week to adjust at the other end. So I, I can see the arguments for both, but yeah, it's you know they're all on a collision course. They're just coming from different directions. It's good this time of year, isn't it? It is, isn't it? The, the, I tell you what, the old coaching carousel's been uh, off and running again, hasn't it, in the off-season? Last year, remember, we had uh, Martina Navratilova coming along and joining up with Agnieszka Radvanska, loads of different uh, coaching changes. And two years ago, it was Becker and Edberg coming on board. We've had Lendl, remember him, on New Year's Eve a few years ago, joining up with uh, Andy Murray. This time, we've got not quite such high-profile pro- high moves, I don't feel, but... Really intriguing ones, the most recent of which is the newest super coach, Carlos Moya. Somebody I know you have uh, spent some time with, Catherine, on the Champions Tour. And I, I, I remember, actually, you interviewed him in our very first episode of the Tennis Podcast, all the way back in May 2012, three and a half years ago, 185 episodes ago, whatever it was. And uh, and he's now coaching Milos Raonic. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that one. I mean, I... I... I've no idea whether that's going to be a good appointment or not. I mean, for me, that's come completely out of left field. I mean, whether that's a a technical arrangement um, or whether it's more about, you know, that super coach thing of bringing someone on board who knows how to win at the absolute top level, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised as much as anything because Carlos Moya is just the ultimate family man. He has three young children. You can barely prize him apart from them at Champions Tour events. You know, he just is completely devoted to them. Maybe his family will go back on tour with him. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe it'll be a big travelling Milos Raonic circus involving three Moya children. I don't know. I I can't wait to see it in action. I can't wait to see them on a practice court together to try and listen into what they're talking about even I mean, it's, you hold eavesdropper. You like me. You like on court coaching. Brilliant. The only reason I like it is because I get to hear private conversations. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do hope they speak in English. I don't think they have any other language in common. I don't think Milos. Well, Raonic hold on a minute. Spanish. Milos Raonic was coached by Galo Blanco for a number of years before he joined up with Ivan Lubacic. So you know, I think there's uh, there's plenty of. Um, Ability yeah, you're to married converse. to a Croatian, David. What's your Croatian like? My Croatian is absolutely atrocious, um, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. So, yeah, all right. 
uh, I accept that that may not be the, the greatest example for why this coaching relationship may or may not work. But I'm, I'm reliably informed that Milos Raonic is, is uh, Spanish is better than my Croatian. That is not saying an awful lot. Uh, now, so that's uh, one of the changes that we've seen. We're talking of Croatians. What about Borna Choric and Mars McLagan? I think, Catherine Whitaker, that that one could well bear fruit because I think Choric is an attritional player with, with some great talent as well. I think finding a guy like Mars McLagan, who knows what the circuit is about, who's worked with a top five player in the world in the past with Andy Murray, and has worked on the, the women's tour as well and had some, some big appointments there, I think that they could do really well together. I think he can help him take him on that transitional stage to regular sort of top 30, 40 player and above. I think so too. I think that's his specialty, really, Miles McLagan, that transitional stage. And uh, I know you've worked with him a lot um, at BBC Radio 5 Live. He was supposed to be my pundit for the uh, highlights, Australian Open highlights show on uh, British Eurosport. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that now. Um, still still very... happening, Catherine. Still happening is my understanding. Still happening. Well, I don't know how Borna Chorich feels about that, but I'm delighted. Um but whether you know whether I, maybe I'll get some great insight. He'll be coaching him from afar, which uh, which would well, be fascinating. You certainly will get some insight. I think basically because uh, that arrangement was already in place, that Mars McLagan would be part of the Eurosport punditry team alongside our very own Catherine Whitaker on the highlights show on Eurosport uh, uh, in the UK. Uh, that is going to continue and. Uh, Yes, I mean, obviously, they'll be talking from afar, I'm quite sure, and then hooking up thereafter. So it's another interesting one, isn't it? And uh, there is, are a number of them on both the men's and the women's tour. I, I heard recently that uh, Madison Keys and Lindsay Davenport are no longer going to be working together. And in fact, Madison Keys is going to be coached by the, the former ATP pro, Jesse Levine. Yeah, that's an interesting one for me. I, I mean, maybe... I think Lindsay Davenport is great. I think that coaching relationship really worked for Madison Keys. I mean, obviously, it bore fruit very quickly with uh, her result at the Australian Open last year. But maybe, maybe it just ran its course, and uh, and uh, Lindsay and her, her husband delivered to her, imparted to her everything they could, and then. You know the the fruits ran dry. I don't know. I do know Madison Keys needs to have a good elements. season. The logistical elements were the biggest issue from what I understood in terms of Madison Keys feeling that she needed somebody with her all the time. And that's always going to be a problem, I think, with somebody who's got four kids. Yes. Well, you would know more about that than me, David. But yeah, uh... it's, 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 it's caused me a lot of problems with my coaching <laughs> relationships with top 20 players, I tell you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and... To to be honest, I do I see the logic in that because Madison Keys does strike me as somebody that needs somebody with her a lot of the time. I think she's great. She has such enormous potential, but I think emotionally um, and mentally she needs some nurturing. And I think maybe that does require more of a constant presence rather than someone that's coming in and out. So, you know, to me, that makes sense. Yeah, and to be honest, it is less than a year since your interview with Brad Gilberts here on the Tennis Podcast in which he predicted inside two and a half years Madison Keys being world number one and backed up subsequently in a subsequent interview with myself by Martina Navratilova. So there is no doubt that people think that the potential is there, but she has stalled a bit of late. She certainly has stalled, and she's watched the likes of Belinda Bencic race past her you know I really think she needs to have a good year this year it, uh, time's not ticking on her yet but as I said she's not quite got the emotional um, and mental fortitude that some players do yet she's by no means a Maria Sharapova yet so the longer um, she ceases to make progress I think the the more the doubts and the questions will fester in her mind. I think for, for mental reasons, as much as anything, she needs to, to make another breakthrough. Serena Williams is inevitably the person that we need to talk about the most on the WTA circuit because we just don't know which Serena Williams is going to come out 
of the blocks here, do we, in 2016? Here is a woman who conquered all before her for basically nine months in 2015. She lost only three matches. Then she had that loss to Roberta Vinci, meaning that she didn't complete the calendar year Grand Slam that we all expected that she would. And then we didn't see her again on the WTA circuit throughout the whole of the rest of the year, which I think was no great big surprise to us in terms of, obviously, it was an emotional letdown and probably psychologically pretty traumatic not to have done something that she was so close to completing. Then she came out at the IPTL. My understanding is from I hadn't didn't see the matches she played, but a lot of people said she didn't exactly set the world alight. I mean, it's not it's not quite the same, is it, as having to come out and perform at Grand Slam tournaments? But it will be very interesting, won't it, to see what sort of frame of mind, how much motivation is in the tank for Serena Williams in 2016. Don't forget, she's on 20 Grand Slam titles. She could. Is it or is it twenty one Grand Slams? It's twenty one Grand Slam titles, isn't it? So she could overtake both Steffi Graf and Margaret Court feasibly in twenty sixteen. This is how close to those landmarks she currently is at the moment. And if she did that, she'd also do the Canada Slams. So that would be all right, wouldn't it? But there's a lot of question marks there. I would suggest not about her game as much as simply the fact that she's been through a lot. Not for me, there aren't, David. I think she wouldn't be entering if the motivation... I think she, she knows whether the motivation's there or not, and she wouldn't be entering if it wasn't there. I think so long as Steffi Graf holds a record that she doesn't, there will be motivation. I, I would question how long it will remain after she gets that record, which I think she inevitably will, um, because I think that's when... I mean, given my limited knowledge of what it's like to be an undisputed champion of the world at anything, uh, I, I can imagine that that's when the motivation will begin to wane. But within one Grand Slam of equaling Steffi and two of uh, of surpassing her, I don't think she's going to wane just yet, not having come this close. If it's any consolation at all, Catherine, you are the undisputed champion of the world at annoying me. I do take a great deal of pride in that. So thank you very much, David. Good. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, in the off-season as well, Serena Williams was voted uh, the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. I mean, that is a phenomenal accolade, isn't it? I often think that some of these things that we bestow on our champions in the media don't mean an awful lot, to be honest, because we just sort of come up with a name and, and so forth. I, I, I don't think British people completely get halls of fames and, and stuff like that. But given the lengths to which Sports Illustrated goes into detail to to come up with the people that they give these awards to, I, I think that that is a huge deal for, for tennis and, and for women's tennis and for women's sport. I, I mean, yes, you, you, you're giving me a platform here to go on, a, to to go on, a, not a rant, uh, because a rant has negative connotations. I mean, to um, just you were giving me a platform to rejoice in the fact that she was given that award. If you haven't seen her speech, go onto YouTube or go onto whatever website is showing it, Sports Illustrated, uh, and watch her speech because it is a it's a joy to behold. Um, it's 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 an accolade with real meaning. The uh, the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. Um, I think it's a shame that it comes from a publication which still puts you know sportswomen in bikinis in most of their publications. But anyway, that's a that's a topic for another day. I think it's a terrible shame that she didn't win. She or Novak Djokovic didn't win the BBC Overseas Sports Personality of the Year. I, I think that's. A massive oversight, really. I mean, with all due respect to Dan Carter, a fantastic sports person and athlete, I just, I, I don't believe his achievements really um, reckon with those of, of Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams. And, and yes, women's tennis, women's sport is, I really believe we're in a fantastic era for it. I mean, just things are progressing so much month on month, let alone year on year. But there's a long way to go and things like this happening really take us strides along the way, I think. 
What, what I didn't realize, just reading here, that the, she's the first female athlete to be honored with that title on her own since the track star Mary Decker in 1983. You're too young to actually probably even remember who that is, but I certainly do. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that, that is quite shocking, isn't it? It's shocking. I mean, no female has won the overseas sports, BBC Sports Personality of the Year since Martina Hingis in 1996. That's 20 years now. I know these are, these are halcyon days for women's sport, but only by contrast to what's come before. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. You know, this... Things are things are improving. The recognition is getting so much better. Tennis is the flag bearer for recognition for women, but there's a long way to go. Now, anybody who listens to our tennis podcasts during the Australian Open last year will know that I was championing the cause of Maria Sharapova and thinking that she was actually going to beat Serena Williams in the final, which <laughs> she didn't. Um, and uh, so I was made to look. <laughs> Can I just a, a have a, a, a private moment to laugh about that one year on? Have you laughed yet? Yeah, you, I have. Are you laughing silently? Yeah, inside and out, David. Okay, all right. Uh, anyway, uh, what I didn't know until I read the WTA website today is that Maria Sharapova only wins Grand Slam tournaments in even years. She's never won a Grand Slam tournament in odd years. So, with that logic, allied to the. I think logic is an overstatement, David. Come on. No, every, every slam title in, <laughs> in even years, it's, it's there for all to see. The evidence is staring you in the face, Catherine Whitaker. It's 2016. It's an even year. This is the year, surely. I think what's happened here is you've successfully identified the most meaningless statistic in sport. I think that's... I mean, that's not to say she won't. I think there's a very good chance she will. But I don't think it will be because it's an even year. Oh, OK. All right, then. Uh, Agnieszka Radvanska, here's another one I got from the WTA website. The last non-Grand Slam champion to win the WTA finals who was, who'd not won a slam was Amelie Moresmo, and she went on to win two of the next three straight after winning the WTA finals, which Agnieszka Radvanska has done. I've asked Catherine Ritzka on Twitter uh, another poll uh, whether Radvanska will win a Grand Slam title. Uh, in, in half an hour voting, 141 votes. 45% have said yes, 55% have said no. What does Catherine Whitaker say? I think she will at some point, but I don't think that will have anything to do with what Amelie Moresmo did 10 years ago. I think you've just identified oh, the second most meaningless it. statistic in sport. Congratulations. 
Thanks very much. Uh, now, um, just a, a quick word on the other runners and riders. Uh, Garbinia Muguruza was the big uh, story last year in terms of breaking into the top 10. Catherine Whitaker reckons it was Belinda Bencic. Alan Mills backed that up as well. So I better, be, better speak quietly just in case he's hearing this. Uh, but that was utter nonsense, as we all know, because Garbinia Muguruza was... He's a convert. I, I'm imagining he's going to listen to every episode of the podcast from now on. Yeah, well, probably, yeah. Uh, Carolina Pliskova, Belinda Bencic or Madison Keys. Who's going to do the Muguruza uh, spurt into the top ten this year, Catherine Whitaker, Or into the top five, more specifically? Top five? Um, crikey. Well, Belinda Bencic, is, it's her difficult second season, isn't it? Um, which people struggle with. Uh, historically, obviously Jeannie Bouchard just had hers. Remains to be seen whether Muguruza will have hers this year. I mean, Carolina Pliskova was on the brink of the top ten this time. Well, not quite this time. In in mid to late February last year, following the Australian Open and, and the great run she went on before and after that Grand Slam. So I... I'm going to go for Karolina Pliskova of those three. She does have a great game to watch, Pliskova, doesn't she? Uh, I just think she's overplaying. Uh, I think we've talked about that throughout last year, but then she went and played the IPTL, seemingly from start to finish as well. I'm just thinking, is that wise? But anyway, we'll find out. She's got a fantastic game her, to watch. and uh, A bank manager would so have told we'll, her we'll it is that. wise, David. <laughs> well, there's certainly that. Uh, now, Catherine Whittaker, talking about people who uh, had a bit of extracurricular activity at the end of last season. What about Kyle Edmund, who came to the Royal Albert Hall alongside Andy Murray and David Ferrer, and they played against uh, Tim Hem and John McEnroe and Xavier Melise in tiebreak tens. Uh, it was a cracking night, it was, and uh, eventually produced a really surprising result with Kyle Edmund th- knocking Andy Murray off the court in the end. It was a, a close final, but really, really a spectacle. Edmund showed me a level of tennis in the Davis Cup final in the two sets he won against David Goff. And then then that match against uh, Murray that suggested to me that he's really going places, Kyle Edmund. And he spoke to Catherine Whitaker shortly after learning that he was a direct entrant into the Australian Open. I know you found out just a matter of days ago that you'd also made the main draw at the Australian Open for the first time. How big a boost was that for you? Yeah, I've been in main draws before, but I have to go through qualifying or get a wild card. So, you know, first time I've got in on merit, my own ranking, it is, you know, it's a good feeling. Uh, so it was one of my goals to make main draw of uh, the Australian Open. Just did it, but, you know, I did it, which is good. Um, yeah, you want to be playing in Grand Slams, so, you know, that's where it's at in tennis. Doing one of them is, you know, how you're going to make good points. Uh, you probably learn the most from those matches. So um, I did well there last year, qualified, uh, won three matches. So, yeah, hopefully I can go there and do well again. Carl, the draw has just come out. You're playing Martin Clijan in the first round here. There had, <coughs> for a few minutes, been the possibility of you playing world number one, Novak Djokovic. I'm sure in your mind you contemplated that. How did you feel about that possibility? Was it something you wanted to happen? Yeah, I mean, you obviously think about it... Uh, Part, you know, part luck. But if I played him at the minute, he's the guy to beat. You know, he's really high in confidence. Lost literally a handful of matches last year, so it would have been a great experience for me. I've never played the world number one. Uh, never played Novak uh, or any of those top guys. So uh, after winning a few matches, yeah, maybe you could have feel good. Go out there, see where your game at is at game is at, at well as well. Um, see what he does, how you, where you need to improve. But still, we're playing Martin Clijan. He's a, uh, I don't know where he's ranked, but he's gonna, he's in the main draw. So every guy in the main draw is gonna be tough to beat. You have to play well. So it's, it's no different when I play him. You've not played the world number one before, but you have played the world number two not so long ago. Exhibition yeah. event, at the Albert Hall. You beat Andy Murray to win that. I know it wasn't yeah. a tour event, but surely a big deal for you to. To yeah. come out and bully the world number two the way you did to win that tournament. Yeah, well, he, mine was probably on holiday, which is a good thing for me. But um, yeah, it was for me. I, I remember just being there and thinking, 
I had Andy, then Ferrer, McEnroe, Henman, and Melise. These are all guys, like legends of the game. They've done so well. Uh, I've grown up watching them, so to be sitting there as like a twenty-year-old, I was like, "This is pretty cool." And obviously, the end result was uh, was great. Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect anything like that. I just thought I'll go. It's a great experience to to do something like this. And uh, after Dave's Cup, it was like another another like. I don't know what the word is like good great feeling like you know to to end the year like that again I know you got a big paycheck for that win as well I won't embarrass yeah. you by saying how much but did you treat yourself to something over Christmas um, I mean the week after I had, I had a week holiday went to, I went to Dubai with a friend so yeah whatever I mean yeah I don't know maybe you spend a bit more money on holiday doing stuff like we went jet skiing and dune buggy and like just different stuff but I haven't made like a proper chunk and put it like uh, a smart thing I think to do is to invest it Uh, I spend a lot of time in London so maybe that is an option but um, the thing is being a tennis player like you travel a lot so I've got everything I need like to travel with when I go home to see my family so at the minute it's not a lot like options so I'll just keep it it's not going to go anywhere so when the time's right I'll uh, hopefully use it wisely yeah leave it in the bank exactly yeah absolutely you mentioned went out to Dubai I know Andy Murray spent his off season in Dubai did you train with him out there yeah I probably I was there for maybe 10 to 12 days Um, I just went straight from holiday went straight to training Uh, I'd probably hit with him yeah maybe 7 days out out of the 10 so I spent a good quality time with him hitting uh, it was great for me um, to start you know get ready for the season with, with Andy can't get much better than that so um, whenever I hit with Andy whenever, whenever it is or wherever it's a great experience learn new things uh, I hit with him a lot at Dave's Cup hit with him a lot in the off season so uh, yeah I felt coming here because I was in Dubai with the conditions that coming here I, f- I felt pretty good hitting the ball well so I guess you know it's it's transferred over into the matches, which is good. And do you train with him off court as well? And if so, can you give us a, a snapshot of what that's like? Because he's obviously well known for his work ethic off the court. Yeah, I mean his work ethic on court, first of all, is like you know is is great to watch and is very high off court. I don't do exactly the same stuff as him. We have sort of different programs. Uh, we've got different trainers, obviously. So maybe we'll train at the same time in the gym like we'll do a weight session at the same time but we'll do different exercises uh, I don't I mean I don't if you guys know he loves his versa climber so he does a lot of that I do a bit more um, say like running interval intervals or I'll do my cardio will be more court based um, and he does a lot of court, cardio court based stuff as well but I know he does like the versa climber uh, which I think Lendl got him into actually so there's a lot of challenges when Lendl was around um, that the coaches would do. Um, and then, yeah, I think ever since then, Andy's just enjoyed the doing the verse climber. I've done it before. It's very tough. Uh, so, it, you know, there's a lot of pain and effort. And so when it happens, it's obviously very beneficial at the same time. There's no, obviously, when you run, it impacts on your knees or maybe when you bike. But... It's just all purely muscle strength and, and cardio, so I think that's why he likes it. Um, it's it's very easy, but it's tough. It's, you've had a few weeks now to reflect on your Davis Cup experience, Great Britain's Davis Cup experience. I know it must have been completely overwhelming at the time, mm. everything that you went through with that team. Can you, have you been able to digest it and, and develop your thoughts a bit on, on everything that you and the team achieved? Yeah, yeah, obviously I had a bit of time over the holiday to think about it and uh, first of all the team I mean it was incredible to win it uh, for me personally I never thought I'd be involved in a winning Davis Cup team um, you know 20 years old especially so I'm fortunate that I'm in the position to, to, to experience that uh, also my match um, yeah I, mean, I was disappointed at the time to lose it you never want to lose especially um, for your teammates, you want to do well for them, do well for yourself, do well for Great Britain, etc. But you always have to look at positives, uh, especially being so young. So 
the fact that I was two sets to love up, uh, playing very well. Um, next time the triggers do that for three sets, so that that was the goal. Uh, I spoke to my coaches about how to improve, and yeah, it's just it's just a great experience. Um, you know, being away from home, sort of the the underdogs playing in front of a majority of the crowd were Belgian, but we also had great support. So uh, yeah, just fantastic uh, week. So something, I'll, you know, you never forget those sort of weeks. What have you done with your trophy? Uh, it's just yeah, up at home on the shelf. Uh, thing is, I I don't get to see some of the you know the trophies I get over the years because um, you're always travelling, but. Yeah, it's up, it's up there at home, so my mom my mom gets to see it and stuff. So yeah, literally, I I played Davis Cup. I went home for two days, and and then I had to come back down for the tiebreak thing. So I haven't yeah I haven't really had a chance to uh, to I don't know look at it. I guess so. Davis Cup winner in 2015. Many other mm. milestones and goals ticked off as well. I'm sure. How different now are your goals for 2016, and what are they? Yeah, a lot. Last year, uh, 2015, I've spent a lot of time on the Challenger Tour, so you you want to be at, on the on the main tour this year. Um, it's probably tr- trying to play more. <coughs> sorry, more uh, tour events, uh, doing well in them more. I've actually. I played tour events, but I haven't got a great record in them. So now it's trying to do better in them. Uh, I've had a taste, you know. I've, I've got a feel for it. So yeah, it's just trying to get better. Also, my game. If I'm going to go up the rankings, my game needs to be better. So it's just continuing to improve my game. Um, and that, yeah, nothing complicated. It's just I'm still young, so I know I need to improve if I want to get to the top. So yeah, just up more hard work and trying to get better. I know you're an extremely hard worker, but you're also turning 21 this week. Will you allow yourself a day off to celebrate? Uh, pro- probably not. I mean, I don't know. It, to me, it's just another. It's just a number. It's just another day. I'm, I'm not at home. I'm on the road. Um, I'm, I'm on the road for a reason to to train and and play matches. So uh, I don't know how it works out. If I still, if I'm still here, I'll, that would be great. Uh, if I'm in Australia, then I'll probably still be training. That's what I did last year anyway. I was training on my birthday, so... There's worse yeah. ways to spend a birthday. Exactly. I mean, spending your birthday in Melbourne is not too bad, so... Well, happy birthday in advance and Thank good you. luck for yeah. the first round match. Thanks a lot. So there's Kyle Edmund with Catherine Whitaker. Catherine, what's he like? Oh, he's, a, he's just a lovely lad. I mean, I first came across him what feels like donkey's years ago now when I think he was just 15 years old at a Champions Tour event we had um, in Zurich which was champions alongside juniors and uh, there were lots of other top-ranked junior players there who were sort of 17, 18. He was very much... He he looked like he felt like a fish out of water but actually his game was at a level indicating that he completely belonged. Um and he's the same. He's the same kid he was then. You know, it's hard to believe, really, that he's about to turn twenty-one. I know, I know that's young by our standards, but in my mind, he still seems like a, a teenager, really. But he's, he's definitely um, bright and got something about him, and he's got that Andy Murray thing of really thinking before speaking and really thinking about the question you ask him and giving a proper answer. He never goes into autopilot. He never goes into sort of media training mode. He's very natural, very likable, um, very relaxed, but obviously utterly committed. I mean, he's clearly working himself down to the bone to ensure that whatever his potential is, I don't think either we or he know exactly what his potential is, but I feel completely confident that when he retires, you know, squillions of years into the future he will have maximised whatever that potential is. He's not leaving any stone unturned in his own development. And just a personal view, Catherine, having seen him up close in that tiebreak tens tournament where I I just didn't realise he had such weapons at his disposal, that serve and that forehand, they are going to, as a combination, win him so many matches. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, 
if he uh, that that's not to say that his backhand is by any means a weakness. It's just sort of by comparison. It's obviously it's the wing that will produce fewer winners. I don't. I think it's a solid enough backhand, but certainly the the forehand is where the winners are going to come. The grip he has on that shot. It's uh, it's it's a bit like Jack Sock's grip. Actually, it feels like it's a lashing tongue onto the ball. It's uh, it's amazing and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I find it so difficult to tell. I mean, even scouts who are paid squillions of dollars by Nike and Adidas or whatever to go out there and spot fourteen-year-olds who are going to make it big, even they their success rate is, uh, you know, probably less than fifty percent. So I'm loath to make predictions about exactly how high he can get, but uh, he just gives me so much confidence that. You know, leave it in his hands. He's he's capable, he's sensible. He's going to make sure he fulfills his potential, whatever that might be. Yeah, I mean, even we get stuff wrong occasionally. We might have even got it wrong about Grigor Dimitrov, but the game's not quite over yet, you know. Don't give up on the guy just yet. He's going to come again in 2016. I, I, I can feel it. What, what anyway, do you mean come again? Gaffin, when when did he come? Go, just another word last about... Last time. When was, when was the first coming of, of Grigor well, Dimitrov exactly? finals of Wimbledon. Beat Andy Murray. No, no. When you're predicting that someone will be the next Roger Federer reaching one Grand Slam semi-final does not equal potential fulfilled. Hold on a minute. Don't turn it around on me. You were worse than me. I know, I know. But I've... I've not reached the end of my tether. I still desperately wish him to do it. I I desperately do. I will still tune into all his matches, willing him on. But I can't hope anymore, David. It's the hope that kills. Having said that, I do think Franco Devine is a very good appointment. But I, I just, I need a break from hoping. OK, well, spoken like a true Reading football fan uh, who doesn't see success very often. Uh, Catherine Whittaker, just before we go, uh, talking about other British tennis players as we were there. Uh, Dan Evans, 25 years of age, 183 in the world now, up from 750 a few months ago. Very few points to defend. It's now or never for Dan Evans. I can see him getting into the top 100, Catherine. There you go, I'm on record. Top 100, Dan Evans. Yeah, I think I think at some point he will probably scrape in there. I, I think Kyle now, now that Kyle's sort of on the track of his development, you know, the train's in motion. I think Kyle Edmund will now remain ahead of him as as the British number two, or he certainly should, injury permitting. Um, but yeah, I, I, we can't hark on about the talent of Dan Evans anymore, can we? We know what he can do, but you know, he could he could win an ATP title one week and then go on a bender and not make it to the court the next week you know and he'd be the first person to admit to it so what can you say yeah absolutely all I can say is Dan do a Leicester not a Villa Johanna Conta who got herself inside the world's top 50 at the end of 2015 uh, starts as the fifth seed remarkable really to think that isn't it in uh, Shenzhen I think it is that she's playing this week it'll be interesting to see how she goes Heather Watson is going to spend a month with Judy Murray coaching her that's an interesting development isn't it with Diego Veronelli deciding a little bit like Davenport and family that it's just not going to work long term to keep trudging around the world 40 weeks a year when you've got a family I like it I think she's got a great relationship with Judy Judy would have been down in Australia anyway I mean Judy doesn't need to exactly prove her credentials as somebody that can produce high level tennis players does she I mean uh, yeah great great decision from Heather Watson why why on earth wouldn't you use Judy Murray if she's available and willing Yeah, absolutely. Now, finally, uh, Laura Robson, uh, we know, will not play the Australian Open. She's going to be playing on a protected ranking, hopefully, if all goes well with her wrist, in the French Open, and she'll be returning to action after the Australian Open. And I I did ask uh, people at Tennis Podcast on Twitter to let me know their 2016 tennis wish. Ali said the younger guys to break through in a big way. Jordan Holt said Maria to finally beat Serena again. Andy McGee wants a fit and fight. Firing Rafael on the dial back. James Nathan says, I'd just like Federer to pop round to my place for a hit on the local court downstairs, if that's all right. I think James Nathan might be my brother's new pseudonym. 
Oh, yeah. And student Matt, talking of pseudonyms, is our uh, intern who does our social media. Uh, and he has said he wants good health and fitness for one Martin Del Potro because he oh, misses well that Oh, well said, forehand. student Matt. Well done, well student said, Matt. Well yeah. uh, I am saying that I want Laura Robson to return fit and strong and firing. Well, that very much ties in with student Matt's um, hopes, doesn't it? Because they've suffered from... The very same injury. They had the very same surgeon for their for their wrist injuries. I I, I heard that uh, Juan Martin Del Potro got on the phone to Laura Robson when he heard about her injury and recommended his surgeon to her. So, uh, you know, the fact that Juan Martin Del Potro hasn't quite yet made it back, I hope, is no reflection on the quality of his surgeon uh, for Laura Robson's sake. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a cruel, cruel twist of fate, the injury that they've both sustained um, and how terribly difficult it is to come back from. And I think sort of any any fair-minded person wishes both of those two well. I certainly do. What's your 2016 tennis wish, Catherine? Beat your brother. <laughs> I, th- I thought we were doing wishes within the realms of of, of possibility. Um, Beat me then. <laughs> it's already happened, David. It's, you know, it's no need to waste a wish on that. No, I, I said somebody under the age of 22, 22 and under to win a Grand Slam, men's or women's is what I would like. Only just the one, you know, I'm quite happy with any of the the old guard, the current, uh, dominant players winning as many as they like but just let one player in to sneak a Grand Slam title, title just to keep it interesting spice things up a bit okay alright we'll arrange that Catherine enjoy Doha won't you oh I will I'm wrapping up warm tomorrow don't you worry absolutely and we'll speak to you soon hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.